Book One, Part Two of Susan by Ernest Old Meadow. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Traxelby, Part Two. Goodness gracious, Susan, I said after I had got to the end of this amazing document. In the name of everything, what on earth is all this? It is my answer to his lordship, Miss Susan answered penitently. But Susan, I don't understand what is this about a courier and to-morrow's coach and what do you mean by saying that his person and conversation are not distasteful to you didn't you assure me this morning that you'd never even seen him yet here you are writing to him about occasions in your casual intercourse susan i don't like to say it but i'm very much afraid that i pulled myself up what i had been on the point of saying was that susan had grossly deceived me and that her case confirmed all i had ever heard as to the deepness of still waters and the duplicity that invariably underlies an appearance of baby innocence but i remembered just in time that with all the duplicity in the world to help her the letter she had shown me would still be beyond susan's powers so i screwed a new tale to my unfinished speech and said i'm afraid this won't do i thought it didn't seem quite right miss said susan meekly more especially the piece about the coach that was why i didn't post it susan don't prevaricate i said sternly it isn't like you and i won't put up with it if i am to have any more to do with this affair you must really begin to treat me with perfect candour why did you tell me you had never seen lord reddington if you please miss i never have seen him never not that i know of i've seen susan paused and blushed go on go on i said impatiently you have seen whom please miss there was a young gentleman in a dark green suit when we were at the post-office on saturday he stared at me as we went in and when we came out he followed us as far as the golden eagle looking at me all the time it was very wrong of you to encourage him susan but how do you know it was lord ruddington i don't miss maybe it's only my fancy susan look here look at your own letter goodness knows where you got all this grand old-fashioned language from it's the sort of language they used when lord reddington's great-grandmother wasn't a day older than you are now but that isn't my point what i want to know is why you write to lord reddington in this letter about occasions when you have met i know it sounds wrong miss replied susan more humbly than ever but that was just the way it was in the book those were the very words the book i echoed bewildered yes miss i copied it out of the old book that's been lying in the lumber-room ever since i came to traxelby perhaps you haven't seen it miss light was breaking over me but i couldn't make out the full truth till susan went on the back is torn off miss it has a picture of a young lady in a short-waisted muslin frock looking very sad and writing at a table there's a wicked little boy in the corner of the room with nothing on but wings and an arrow just going to shoot the young lady the book's called the complete letter writer it took all my self-control and all my solicitude for poor worried susan to restrain me from laughing loud and long but after the first shock of comicality i was soon steadied again by the hard facts which still rose up before me at another time this clearing up of the mystery of susan's late georgian grammar and johnsonian vocabulary would have been droll past resistance but lord reddington's letter was lying on the table happily the beckoning hands of fortune had not spoiled susan yet 
the prospect of wealth and rank had confused her brains but it had not dazzled her inmost sound self or altered her sterling principles or shaken her out of her well-worn ways the mistress-elect of reddington towers and my social superior of the near future still addressed me with the simple respectful openness for which i have always liked her so well after i had sat i don't know how long silently trying to work out a solution she said for the third time i knew it didn't sound right miss i will tear it up and burn it and perhaps when you're not too busy perhaps miss gertrude you would tell me what i ought to say of course susan of course i answered i've promised you already but it isn't easy susan accepted the situation and stood patiently awaiting the end of my meditations sit down susan i said at last she sat down i am obliged to ask you a few plain questions yes miss if it turns out that he really is in earnest do you wish to marry lord ruddington oh yes miss please you don't understand in his letter he asks if you are free if your affection is still yours to give now is there anybody else that you're promised to already oh no miss not gibson susan looked troubled when she answered it was falteringly and without her usual openness no miss and she added uneasily i have never promised to be engaged to gibson but does gibson expect that some day you will he oughtn't to miss rejoined susan making shockingly quick progress in cunning i mean has gibson talked to you in that way and have you listened come susan don't be silly i am forced to ask these things i've never seen lord ruddington but from all i've heard of him he isn't the sort that would want to make himself happy by making another man miserable for life not even if the other man is only gibson lord ruddington's letter is strange for instance it's rather stiff and dry and like the letter of a much older man but it rings true it rings honourable you must be honourable too otherwise the whole business will end in misery for everybody come susan i don't want to preach a sermon but you know as well as i do that if you and gibson truly care for one another you will be a happier and better woman in a four-roomed cottage with gibson than with lord ruddington at the towers tell me how things stand after a struggle susan blurted out yes miss gibson has asked me when well miss the last time was last week you didn't accept him i've gathered that already but did you give him a plain refusal well miss answer yes or no susan straight out have you let gibson think that if he gets on some day you will marry him susan's eyes filled with tears her cheeks burned red come susan tell me she broke into weeping oh no miss no she moaned between her sobs not gibson truly miss i've never said a single word to encourage gibson very good i said but don't go on like that there's nothing to cry about if you can't be sensible we must talk about it some other time i confess that for a minute or two i had indulged a hope that gibson would prove to be susan's favourite lover and that accordingly lord ruddington's monstrous infatuation could be nipped in the bud and when my hope was found to be groundless i felt more than a little nettled i foresee endless annoyance and inestimable losses of time and temper over this unheard-of madness of my preposterous young neighbour 
we've been told for years that we shall see wonders when lord ruddington comes to live at the towers and seeing he's only been here a week i must admit he hasn't lost much time when susan stopped crying she was less tractable i suppose she resented my catechizing her about gibson after all i shouldn't have liked it myself as soon as she was dry-eyed she became a little more dry-hearted and a good deal more dry-witted as well she was more defiant less dependent much more the prospective lady of the towers and much less the actual lady's maid at the grange i noticed this in her answer to my first remark after her tears had ceased to flow susan i said this is a matter which won't be any the worse of a night's delay i will sleep on it and you must too understand i say sleep i don't mean that you're to lie awake and let it worry you we shall write lord ruddington a better answer to-morrow than we can to-day meanwhile it won't do him any harm to be kept waiting a few hours longer no said susan it won't i've always heard it said that it does them no good to throw yourself at their heads for once she did not call me miss and both the matter and the manner of her speech jarred on me from susan it sounded hard and vulgar it was as if my rare and sweet susan had suddenly descended to live a moment of her life two or three planes lower down i sent her off with some messages about dinner and with enough plain work to occupy her for the rest of the day and now that i have put the whole thing down in black and white i begin to understand how cordially i dislike it friday september fifth five a m such a wretched night i hope lord ruddington has had a still worse one he deserves it and i don't besides he has something to gain or thinks he has while i only have something to lose even if he rushes out of his infatuation as precipitately as he rushed into it susan can never be the same nice girl again i have thought about it all the many hours of this blessed night that i have been awake and i have dreamt about it all the few nightmarish minutes i have been asleep twisty scary jumpy dreams that i can't half remember heaven knows i was vexed enough when alice would persist in teasing me last sunday about lord ruddington what would alice not have said if she had known that he was hardly three miles away at the very time she was plaguing me on wednesday at the station her last words were gertie don't be a fool from alice's point of view gertie will be a fool if gertie doesn't so play her cards as to become lady ruddington i did so hate it if i am happy why can't people leave me alone alice will be dreadfully indignant if ever she finds out that i knew lord ruddington was coming at once to the towers but if i had told her she would only have fought against me going off to st veronique yet why in the world should i be going to a place like st veronique at the fag end of the season i'm going simply and solely because i was determined not to give the tiniest scrap of opportunity to the gossips and matchmakers who would have been so ready to connect the young spinster of traxelby grange with the young bachelor of ruddington towers but i'm wandering away from my own point i say alice's chaff and hints and coaxings were bad enough but this farce of susan's is a million times worse i admit i'm weak enough to care what people say and think and what sort of a position will it be when all the world knows that his noble lordship of ruddington is coming to the grange a-wooing not me but my maid it's perfectly hateful noon susan is herself again i don't mean that she isn't still burdened with the worries and anxieties of her amazing good luck 
indeed she confesses that she has had a wakeful night but in her work and her behaviour she is once more as good as gold after all it was lean and ungenerous of me yesterday to be jarred by her one low-class remark we are none of us at our best every single minute of our lives when i'd written in this diary with my teeth chattering at five o'clock this morning i crawled back into bed in a very sour temper and if susan had come in sulky with a second lot of weak toast and strong tea it would have finished me off as it was i lay trying to get warm and wondering whether it mightn't be better to leave susan and ruddington to patch up their ridiculous match in their own unthinkable way at a quarter to seven susan brought me three perfect square inches of toast and a perfect tablespoon of china tea in that sweet little thin bird's egg coloured porcelain cup which i thought was broken she saw at once that i hadn't slept and in her quiet untoadying genuine old way she was ever so much concerned but i didn't let her begin talking i must do my duty by susan haven't i often felt inwardly virtuous on the strength of my compassion more sentimental than practical for susan's motherlessness how do i know that the poor good creature has not consciously pitied me on the same account it isn't too much to say that susan has been almost a mother to me over and over again surely then it is my duty to be a mother to her in this big sudden strain on her simple wits rumour says that ruddington is all right but rumour sometimes has a lying tongue even when she speaks in a man's praise i have no guarantee whatever that lord ruddington intends to treat susan honourably if he doesn't i know i shall be a poor defender of susan and that i can't hope to be his match in worldly knowledge and cunning but i don't mean to fail for want of doing my best this is the reply i have drafted the grange traxelby friday your letter of tuesday was not one to be answered or even acknowledged in a hurry indeed it is only after hesitation that i decide to answer it at all how do i know that this unaccountable flame of passion has not died down as quickly as it sprang up but there is a reason why if i am to reply at all i ought to do so to-day to-morrow we are going to france we shall be away a month you ask me if i am free to bestow my affection where i will the answer is yes deeply disturbed though i am by your surprising letter i will not make a difficult situation more difficult still by anything like coyness in fairness to both of us i will speak as plainly and shortly and practically as i can there is only one direct question in your letter and i have answered it above but there is an indirect question also you want to know if the affection which i have not given elsewhere can be given to lord ruddington the answer is i do not know you have seen me but i have not seen you again if i consent you will remain in your old rank and station while i must make a great and exacting and perilous change above all you declare that you have the fullest possible inward light on this matter whereas i have nothing of the kind thus you have a threefold advantage over me reading your letter as an offer of marriage the most i can say to-day is that for the present i do not refuse it will you write to me once a week not more while i am at st veronique our address will be at the hotel du dauphin meanwhile i beg most earnestly that you will not try to see me before we leave to-morrow this journey to france is surely providential and we must not throw its advantages away i am going to be very frank indeed 
to a poor girl with her living to earn your offer is so tempting and marvellous that if you pressed it immediately and in person i fear i might be swept off my feet into acceptance long before i could be sure that love will exist on both sides for your own sake if not for mine do not put me to such proof what would my consent be worth if you won it solely through the powers of your wealth and birth to dazzle my eyes and confuse my brain my month abroad will serve two ends by correspondence we shall know one another better and our first meeting will thereby be made less embarrassing and formidable especially to me again and you must forgive me for saying it time and absence may reveal to you more of your own heart and mind perhaps you will repent most bitterly of your letter which i am now answering and if so it will surely be better to admit that you have been the victim of a passing madness rather than to fasten lifelong unhappiness upon us both susan briggs i can hardly say i am proud of this production quite the contrary both in matter and style it's altogether too unsusanish indeed now that i've tried and failed i'm beginning to have more respect for the effusion of the young lady in the short-waisted muslin frock perhaps if i'd taken out the bits about the coach and the casual intercourse her letter would have been better than mine heaven knows what susan will make of it i'm positively nervy every time i hear her on the stairs all the same i've said the best thing to lord reddington even if i've said it in the worst way going to st veronique bright and early to-morrow morning is quite a good scheme if the noble lord comes hot-foot after us i can certainly manage him better at st veronique than here at the grange besides i'm half persuaded that the poor boy's paroxysm won't last long if needs be we'll go to alice's when we come back to england i think we'll travel by dieppe it means more train journey on the other side but he's less likely to track us and bother us that way of course if he did anything of the kind it would be abominable but one never knows where a madman will draw the line before dinner susan isn't happy i can see she doesn't like my draught but she's docile and she's going to use it i made the poor thing sit beside me at my desk while we went through it together at the end she said thank you miss but i hate to think i've caused so much trouble that's nothing susan i said just tell me plainly if you think it'll do it's beautiful miss said susan only only what well miss very likely i'm wrong but it seems to leave him a way of backing out again i was prepared for this so i said severely susan what do you mean about going away answered susan doggedly about being a month in france and not saying good-bye and only having him write once a week it seems to give him a chance of changing his mind very well susan shall we tear this up how will it be to write and tell lord ruddington that you will be disengaged to-morrow morning at eleven o'clock oh no miss please no gasped susan turning pale i couldn't really i couldn't i could never face him why not tears came into susan's eyes i should be as dumb as a fish miss i should just sit and sit and never be able to say a word and then he'd think i was stupid and he'd go away so i think myself i said that's why this letter is sensible after he's written to you two or three times you'll feel less strange and more able to meet him yes miss but it's such a long way and such a long time he might change his mind susan 
i began with all the grown-up worldly wise solemnity i could muster listen to me if he's going to change his mind as easy as that won't you be better without him susan looked dubious i don't think i would go as far as that miss she said candidly evidently it was necessary to rub the truth well in susan i said i admit that lords don't marry ladies maids every day this case is unusual but it isn't the first before we were born dukes married dairymaids and earls have married their cooks a few of them have been happy all their lives long most of them have been miserable before the end of the honeymoon susan began to pout i piled it on thicker i won't mention names i said but i know a case myself the son of a duke took a fancy to a poor governess and married her for her looks he was infatuated with her at first sight he followed her everywhere he wouldn't take her refusal he quarrelled with his father for her sake and at last he got her what happened although she was as well educated as he was he tired of her in a year but i suppose miss she has all she wants said susan pouting harder than ever she has all she wants i replied scornfully in the way of house and clothes and food but susan think what if she wants him susan was silent i drove it home what if she wants him and what if she hardly ever sees him susan i don't care to talk to you about such things but this affair of lord reddington is too serious for mincing words the reason why the woman i'm telling you about never sees her husband is that he's the slave of another woman a woman neither so pretty nor so clever nor so good-tempered nor even so well-born as his poor wife susan would you like a life like that even if you could live it in silks and old laces amidst all the luxury of reddington towers susan was blushing hotly as i had intended and hoped she would oh no miss she said eagerly all her honest blood and good training coming to the rescue but i don't think lord reddington would do those sort of things you think but you don't know susan i'm going to put you an old-fashioned question do you think it would be right to marry a man never mind whether it's lord reddington or gibson or any other man if you didn't love him i was trying my poor honest susan too searchingly tears again shone in her blue eyes her colour came and went she turned away her head never mind susan i said very much more kindly i can guess your answer and i can read your mind you don't love lord ruddington it isn't possible you should at present but you think it will be so lovely to be lady ruddington that you mean to make yourself love him whatever happens yes that's it miss sobbed susan i don't deserve that you should be so kind to me miss the danger is susan that we can't depend on love coming whenever we beckon to it perhaps lord ruddington is cold and unlovable perhaps he's too passionate to be affectionate unless you can love him in return his love will only torture you susan make quite sure of your ground you are not like other girls a mistake of this kind would first sour you and then kill you think of it all in this light and you will understand my answer to lord ruddington better i do miss said susan urgently i understand it quite well now and i know it's best please miss gertrude if you'll show me how to address it i'll send it to-night 
i took up an envelope and addressed it to lord ruddington you know best miss said susan glancing at the draft once more but-but oughtn't a girl like me to say your lordship besides she checked herself it was a new thing for susan to question my judgment on any point however small besides what i asked well miss it seems to look strange beginning the letter without anything to start off like lord reddington set us the example i explained i thought it was rather clever and delicate of him he couldn't write in the third person could he and he couldn't very well call you madam or dear miss briggs or dear susan no it's far better for both the letters to be as they are thank you miss said susan as humbly and teachably as she had ever spoken in her life she has gone to her own room i do hope she won't write it out in that frightful blotty schoolgirl hand i ought to have told her to write more quickly and freely and less as if she's doing it with a paint-brush still i'm deeply thankful we're getting on so nicely to-morrow the glorious sea and the cider and dear old saint veronique end of book one part two